0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Occasionally people ask me, um, how did you end up a chaplain? Well, um, my mom claims that my fascination with all things military ga- began sometime between conception and birth. Obviously, my memory doesn't go back that far, so I'm just trusting her word for it. Um, but she's a pretty observant lady, and she's probably right. Um, I, as earliest memories, um, involved, you know, setting up the uh, local Cedar Rapids Irregulars, which was all of the kids my age and younger, on our block, and having, organizing battles and such in the backyard, and I always thought that was just the greatest thing ever. Um, Briefly considered trying to go to West Point in high school, um, decided, prayed about it, and felt like the Lord was not leading me that way, um, and probably because of... um, the academic standards, but it may have been just that, that the Lord knew that that was not what he wanted for me. But anyway, all I have to say, getting towards the end of high school, began to really wonder what God was calling me to do and didn't know. I, I didn't feel a distinct calling to the ministry. Um, I was not close to that, but just didn't have a distinct feeling or calling that way. And so um, considered po- I had been working construction for several years in high school and considered possibly the missions helps or something like that. Um, and I looked at possibly getting like some sort of civil engineering degree so I could um, go around and build hospitals and churches and things like that for missionaries. And, um, but after talking to a number of um, mission board directors and things, they're all like, Seth, we just need missionaries. We can find people that'll come in and do that. And, you know, often people in America from churches will come in for three or four weeks and they'll, they can do most of that in that time. We just need missionaries. And I said, okay. So I didn't know what the Lord wanted. My parents didn't really feel like they had any direction. And I said, well, Lord, I'll go to one year of Bible college, just it will be good training, um, and, and we'll see what you want. So, I went to Baptist College of Ministry in uh, Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, <coughs> and uh, decided that it would be a good idea to take Greek as a freshman. Um, and uh, that was not a good idea. Um, <laughs> and uh, there was some debate for the first semester and a half of whether or not I was taking Greek or Greek was taking me. Um, I managed to pass the class, but during all that, I was going through some struggles because I thought if I'm supposed to go into some sort of ministry uh, missions or something, because that was the only thing I could think of that Lord might be calling me towards. I, I thought, how am I ever gonna learn a foreign language? I mean, this is, I can barely learn Greek and this is killing me. And Greek is this really logical language. You don't even have to be able to speak it. You just have to be able to write it, you know? And uh, so I really battled with that and um, had battled with not going to the military as a teenager. And then as a freshman in college in 2001, I had been in, been, in, uh, been in school for about a week and a half or two weeks, and um, 9-11 happened. And I, every, every day, was driving by a recruiting center on the way to school. And uh, I was very strongly considering just walking in one day and being like, you know, sign me up. And uh, I called my parents, talked to them a little about it, and they said, Seth, you know, you really felt like Seth wanted, or that God wanted you to do a year of Bible college. And has that changed? I said, well, I can't say that it has Um, They said, well, then you do what the Lord showed you, you know, direction the Lord gave you. He knew about 9-11 before it happened. So if he told you to go to a year of Bible college, he knew what he was talking about. Okay. So continue on through the year, Greek and I are, you know, having a uh, mostly hate relationship and um, it's not going well. And at some point along the way, the Lord just really impressed me. He said, Seth, you know, if I want you to learn a foreign language, I'll, I'll help you do that when the time comes. You know, just trust me. And that was really the whole thing all the way along with trying to figure out what God wanted me to do Is just trust me. And I would, I would start thinking, maybe I should do this. And, and God would close the door and I would be like, what do you want? I don't understand. And he was just trust me, you know. And I didn't realize what was going on, but it was God was teaching me to be under his control and under his will and, and to be surrendered to his will. Fast forward now I'm in my second semester of Bible college. And um, I finally kind of felt, felt like at that, you know, you go through, I think you go through multiple times in your life where God kind of brings you to a point where you realize okay I need to put this on the altar but at that point everything I knew about was on the altar and I, um, I, was, I was in chapel and they had this guy I'd never met never heard of before uh, come in his name was Bob Ellis and I th- think probably you guys know Bob he's been here and uh, he got up and began talking about the military chaplaincy and immediately grabbed my attention and he introduced it sorry I'm getting notifications here I, Making sure that my wife's not texting me about sick kids or something, um, she text. Um, he he introduced the military as as a ministry and chaplaincy, and the way he introduced it was, it is a mission field to people of your own language, and I found out later that wasn't quite true. Um, they definitely have their own language, um, but it's much easier to learn. At least it was for me, um, and so I was I was really riveted by that, and um, as as I was listening, I I was just trying to understand what the Lord might be directing and I a verse just Lord gave me the verse it came to my mind it was Psalm 37:4. delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart and I I remember thinking that Is that am I taking that out of context you know I was you know trying to be very because to me this was like the coolest thing ever like I could not believe that there was this thing where you did ministry in the military at the same time like that just sounded too good to be true and um so anyway, I collared Bob afterwards. I said, and so I was just peppering with questions. And finally he stopped me and said, Seth, I'm not a chaplain, haven't been one. I just am really burdened about this ministry, but I don't know the answer to all these questions. And I was like, well, where can I find somebody who knows the answers, you know? He said, well, we're having a national conference, Fundamental Baptist Fellowship International. Uh, that's what it was, it's changed the name since then, but <clears throat> um, he said, uh, well, it's gonna be in Schaumburg, Illinois, just a couple hours away this summer, come on down and you can meet all kinds of chaplains. There'll be a bunch of them there. And I said, okay. So anyway, I, I, it, was a, it was a Wednesday and it was very involved um, in some ministries on Wednesday night. And so I was hoping to email my parents or call them or whatever that evening and, and ask them about it, but just didn't get the time. And so, um, I, but I briefly checked my email right before I went to bed and there was an email from my dad and it said, Seth, how would you like to go to the National FBFI Conference with me in Schomburg, Illinois this summer? <laughs> and I was like, is that the same FBFI in McGill? It's got to be the same one, you know. So I called my parents the next day and finally got a hold of them. We talked, and 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 um, the Lord just made it very clear: this this is where I want you to go. And He began to just direct, and and so that for me was how God just brought it to my attention. And I prayed it through. My parents and I prayed it through, and eventually felt all right. This is what God wants. And so by the time I was a sophomore, I knew that was the direction I was headed. I was getting after it. Unlike um, Captain Long, who I think went through seminary in two years. I did the opposite extreme. I took about six and a half years. And um, so it took me a little longer to get through there, but um, got married and my wife and I met in college. We didn't actually start dating until after we um, graduated, Uh, mostly because the schedule is just really hectic. And uh, it's a smaller school, so they do a lot of block classes and it takes a lot of time to keep your grades up. And I was struggling with grades and anyway, and so that didn't help any. Um, and she's, she's super smart, and she's super responsible. She, she wouldn't have taken time for a relationship because she was going to get good grades. Um, I would have probably been willing to ditch the grades, but um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that was not something she was going to be interested in, I knew that. So we, I, I waited to, uh, to try and pursue her till after we graduated, and uh, our first conversation um, was, was pretty straightforward. I said, Lord's called me to be a chaplain, I'm not looking to mess around. If, so just to understand that if we go through with this thing, that's the direct. I mean, you have to be okay with having a guy dating and potentially marrying a guy that's you know going to be in the military. And I kind of explained the situation. And I said, I really like you, but if, if that can't, you can't do that, then let's not get this thing started. And uh, she said, I think I can handle that. And she's a pretty tough gal, and she can. So anyway, she often does better at it than I do. <clears throat> so anyway, that's how the Lord called me into the chaplaincy. Um, it took a little while to get on active duty um because of some of the requirements and uh pastoring for a little bit um needed the pastoral experience and there was a church that called us uh, in northern wisconsin we loved it there and uh <clears throat> but it wouldn't have been we felt it wouldn't be fair to them because it was a small country church it was the only staff member and we just said all right well we'll stay for three years and it ended up you know more like three and a half and the lord um we really the lord knit our hearts then we loved it i was able to do reserve chaplaincy at that time as well and so all to say, it has been uh, we're very privileged to be called into this ministry and to serve with some of the most amazing men and women our country produces. And uh, it, is, it is really an amazing opportunity <coughs> that God has placed before us. Um, you know, we sang America the Beautiful this morning, and I love that song, primarily because it is a series of prayers for our nation. And I hope when you sing it, that's how you sing it. Um, that there have been a, there's been a lot of people that have sacrificed for this nation. And it was founded on Christian principles. And, you know, we're, I think we would all agree probably that we're getting a little bit far away from some of those Christian principles. But, you know, part of the reason is because God's people haven't been quite, they aren't, they aren't thinking as biblically as they should. And when we let anything other than the word of God determine our thinking, it, it really does make us ineffective. And that w- it's when we have biblical thinking about the things that we encounter in our lives that is a testimony to the lost. Because when they see joy in difficulty, in trials, when they see perseverance in things that should overwhelm because we can rest in the Prince of Peace, then that is the most powerful testimony. They don't know what to do with that. And, <clears throat> you know, at, at times God, God has allowed things in our in our family's life, in my life personally, and because of the word of God and the hope that we find there in his spirit and dwelling, um, I've been able to have joy when I face a difficulty, and I can't tell you how many people have, in the military have come to me and asked me questions about that and said, how can you be happy in this? How can you have joy in this? i say, well, let me, let, me, let me tell you about somebody that I know. Let me tell you about the word of God. And let me tell you about Jesus and what he can do for you and the joy that he can bring for you. And it's been an incredible uh, honor and testimony uh, that the Lord has given. <clears throat> but this morning, I would like us to kind of take a look at some, about how we should be thinking, biblical thinking for believers, specifically in the area of trials. If you would, turn to James chapter one. <clears throat> so what this passage is gonna teach us, and we'll, we'll read through it in a moment here, but what the passage is going to teach us <clears throat> is that we often struggle to respond biblically when God allows trials in our lives. We do, right? Or they wouldn't really be trials, would they? Right? <clears throat> Some of the cooking today was excellent. I, well, I'm sure all of it was, I just couldn't sample it all. Um, as much as I would have liked to. It looked delicious. Um, but, uh, you know, <coughs> there are some things that um, not eating them is not a trial, right? I'm not a fan of boiled peas, okay? So if if, some, if there were boiled peas out there and I didn't see any, but if there were and I had to skip that dish because I did not have room on my plate, I would not consider that a trial, right? Now, if I had no room left on my plate and I had to skip the apple pie, that I might consider a challenge, right? I would probably rearrange something so I could make sure I had that piece of pie on there, right? So the trial has to be difficult. It has to be something that is hard in order for it to even count as a trial. But what we find here is you must think, what this passage will teach us, is that you must think biblically about trials if you are going to respond biblically to trials. So I would like us to look at really three truths in this passage that should govern our thinking when we encounter difficulty, when we encounter trials. Let's read through the passage, and then we'll go back and look at these three truths. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing." If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. When we look at this passage, what we find is this is written to a group of people that knew their Bibles. It says, to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad. These were Jewish believers who had been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. James is writing to them a very practical book. This is not a book that has a lot of deep theology, right? We're not looking at the book of Romans here, okay? We're looking at a, a man who is writing to a group of people that know their Bibles, and he's basically telling them, get busy with obeying what you already know. Get busy with practicing what you already know about the Word of God. <clears throat> and sometimes we can, we can become so interested in learning something new in the Word of God that we can neglect to obey what we already know. And that seems to be James' concern here after a very abrupt um, greeting. He basically states who his audience is, says greeting, and he goes right into his message. And what he tells us here in verses 2 through 4 is consider it an occasion for joy when you encounter a trial, when you encounter a difficulty, when you encounter a temptation, consider it an occasion for joy because God is working in your life. Do you believe that God is sovereign, that he is in control? Yes. So could anything happen that he did not allow? No. Okay which means if you encounter a difficulty or a trial, God let it happen for a reason, right? That's that's basic Bible truth, right? Can't deny any of that. But but we also know that God loves us, that he is good. So therefore, he's not simply allowing because of some cosmic plan in which we are are, um, insignificant players. No, rather, he is allowing it Because he actually intends it for good and because he cares about us and he intends to do something in our lives. But often our reactions are more like, why is this happening to me? I can't believe this is happening again. And by the way, I say that um, because I've done that more times than I would like to admit or remember. But God is working. You should consider it an occasion for rejoicing. How often in the New Testament are we told to rejoice in trials? Quite a few times. In fact, that's basically the theme of the entire book of Philippians. I mean, God wrote a whole book about rejoicing in trial. Now, so why does he say this? Well, first of all, he says, um, he is building enduring strength in you. Count all joy when you fall in the Diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. All right, that idea there is enduring strength. Steadfastness is another possible word you could use there. You see, God cares enough about you to personally orchestrate a spiritual training program for you. Where I currently serve in, um, in Fort Bragg, um, there's a, a program there um, <coughs> called the Thor 3 program. And I, I don't even remember what Thor 3 stands for anymore. They just call it that. Um, but it stands for some sort of strength program. But anyway, you can go in and they've got this beautiful gym and it's, it would put most college gym, football gyms, to, to shame, quite honestly. It's absolutely beautiful um, gym, tons of equipment. And there are two men there and they are full-time athletic coaches, strength coaches. And you go in and they'll assess you and they check you and they're like, okay, let's check how flexible you are. Can you do this exercise? And then they will build you a personalized strength program. And they'll tell you, our, our goal is to make you unbreakable. We're gonna get you st- your body strong enough that normal activities won't break you, all right? Um, and, and so they put a lot of care and concern into making sure that they develop you physically so that you are ready for the battles you're going to face. Well, that's what God's doing. When God allows spiritual difficulties, spiritual struggles in our lives, God's doing the exact same thing on a much more important and deeper level. He's developed a personal training program just for you. He's improving your character. So he's giving, he's building enduring strength, and he's improving your character. Verse four, let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That word perfect often means, we would think of it as mature, all right, a completed program, a complete development. He's making you complete. There's, There's parts of your spiritual fitness, if we could use that, that are missing, and God knows what those are, and so he's Completing the work that he began in you at salvation. Right? We call it sanctification or um, progressive sanctification. In other words, you didn't get perfected, you didn't get all of the your bad habits removed at salvation. And so God's working on that. <clears throat> so He is, it is His purpose to make sure that no aspect of your life is not impacted by His grace and sanctifying work. <clears throat> probably every person here has seen a movie that involved a drill instructor at basic training right and and they're not nice people right at least they don't seem like it and it's funny how many people go through basic training and they tell these horror stories about their drill instructor and about how horrible a person they were and how they made their lives absolutely miserable and the, the I- irony is that I've met some of these drill sergeants when they're not being drill sergeants. And they're very nice people. They're relatively normal people. <coughs> when I say relatively normal, as normal as military people are, right? <coughs> um, and, and, and so you ask them, well, wh- why are you such a jerk? You know? why, why do you treat them that way? And they said, if we don't, they will not be ready for combat when they see it. They won't. And like, it's the only way to get them ready. We don't dislike them. We care about them. We don't want them to be a casualty on the battlefield. You know, the Bible tells us we're in a spiritual war. Right? And God has designed a training program that is tailored for each one of us. And he's getting us ready for the next battle we're going to face. We may not even know what it is. Probably don't. But he does. He does. He knows what we need to be ready for. <clears throat> but so often, instead of, instead of thanking him for allowing these things that are going to strengthen us and get us ready, we do the exact same thing those basic trainings were, do, right? Which when they get back to the barest, I can't believe that dress you know. <clears throat> Man, two minutes out back with him and we, that, you know, all that, you know. I've heard it all <clears throat> and it's, it's quite humorous, you know. But um, we do the same thing. We really do. But God tells us here to consider it an occasion for joy because God is working in your life. He's building enduring strength and he's improving your character. But the second truth we see here is that we are called to ask for wisdom, the wisdom necessary to face and endure the trial. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and it braideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, when we see that, a lot of times I think we either don't think about it in the context of trials, we just kind of take it out of the whole context of James, instead we just say, oh, I need wisdom, Lord, would you give me wisdom? And, and we're like, for instance, you know, I have seven children, I, I'm almost always dealing with one of them when I'm home, right? Um, sometimes good, sometimes not, but I'm almost always dealing with one of them. And so I quite regularly say, Lord, give me wisdom on how to deal with this child, right? Because they're all so different, you know, none of them are the same, And, and, and so that we, we might tend to think of this verse kind of like that, kind of our, almost like a, you know, um, our $200 when we pass, you know, pass Go on Monopoly. It's just like, oh, we need, this is just kind of our, we pull out of our pocket whenever we feel like we need some wisdom in a situation. But in the context, it's specifically referring to wisdom on how to endure a trial. Have you ever faced a trial, a difficulty? and you weren't sure what the right answer was? You ever faced it, and you weren't sure the right way to respond? Or you weren't sure of the right thing to say to that person that it was perhaps mistreating you? And, and, or maybe it seemed like there were no good options on how to deal with this problem that you were facing. You ever had that happen? That's what he's talking about. He says, ask for wisdom all right, and maybe I could put it this way, ask for wisdom in order to maximize the impact God wants in your life, to learn the whole lesson. This isn't wisdom for how to get away from the trial, to how to get out from under the difficulty, right? It's for how to make it through the trial, right? And it tells us that God has the answer, right? That's ask of God that gives to all men liberally. So he has the answer. He wants to give you the answer and he wants to give the answer abundantly. That's what it's when it says gives to all men liberally. God's not going to give you just a smidgen, just enough to like, no, he's going to give you all of it. He will direct you. He will give you an answer. He promises that. But then in verse six, it says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wind of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, when I originally read that, probably like you, um, and maybe not, maybe you're more um, spiritually discerning than I was, I assumed like ask believing that God will answer, right? And I, I would say that there's an element of that, but I don't think that's the primary point here. It actually is ask with the faith, to respond to the answer when he gives it because quite often that's the hard part because God will say you ask for wisdom you ask for direction and God says all right I want you to do this and you say well that I God, when I asked for wisdom I didn't mean that that's hard I that's not that's uncomfortable I don't like that and God says well you asked for wisdom that's the wise way And so then we begin to question, or maybe we decide, I know I asked for wisdom, but I I, I don't want to do that. That wasn't what I meant. The word wavering is not primarily referring to whether or not God will give the wisdom, but whether you will follow it when he does give it. And personally, I think this is one of the more difficult passages to obey in the book of James, Because I'm happy to pray whenever I encounter difficulty. The problem is when God gives direction, I don't really like the direction he's giving me. There was a, several years ago, um, when I was still a lieutenant and what they call a chaplain candidate, which means I haven't fulfilled all my requirements to be a chaplain, but I'm in the army and they're kind of teaching me how to be a chaplain. Um, I went out to... um, Fort Lewis, Washington for a summer to work with ROTC cadets as they were going through their final training camp before their senior year. And if they passed this camp and then they passed their senior year of college, they would commission as second lieutenants as soon as they graduated. And it was called leadership um, development and assessment course. And it's a pretty big deal. It's pretty high stress situation because um, somewhere around half of all of their ROTC grade for their entire four years of college was crammed into 33 days of assessment. It was just, you know, kind of stressful. <clears throat> and so, and I had about 450 um, college students between their junior and senior year that I was responsible for. And they, it was great. I loved it. We, I mean, I had a line out my office every night. Like it was, like it was, it was wonderful. Um, and, and God, I saw people saved, I saw people get right with God, it was amazing. And um, Really, really enjoyed it. But I had this one young man come in, and uh, he was he was just distraught because his fiance um, had um, had broken off their engagement because of some um, uh, moral problems he had had during their engagement. And he said, "I don't know what to do." And he said, "I don't want to lose her." And he was going. To, he's a chap. Can you help me? And uh, he claimed to be a believer. And so um, we began speaking, and, and I <coughs> I eventually got. To after listening through everything and realizing that there were, there were some patterns of, very distinct patterns of behavior that went back for quite a ways. And I said, all right, man, let's just get into brass tacks. If you're going to be a husband, you're going to need to be able to lead your wife. You're going to be able to lead a family, and you're not even doing very well yourself right now. Um, and and I, he said, yeah, I know, I know. And, and I said, okay, let's, let's, so we, we went down and we looked at the word of God, and we, we built him a plan for how to get himself back to where he needed to be in his in his mind because he he was completely defeated in his mind it was leading to some very very um wrong decisions in his life and <clears throat> so I, I walked him through being renewed in his spirit of his mind and putting on the new man and we we developed a plan for that and I said you <clears throat> and you you sh- you can call you know call this girl tonight and say look I've, I've realized where where I've you know I've fallen and I realize I'm not doing well spiritually and um I recognize it's going to take me a little while to get to where I need to be. And um, I'm going to be working on it. But if, and I would, I would really appreciate it if you would wait for me. But if you can't, I understand. I messed up. I did wrong. Like, <clears throat> have that conversation. I said, okay. So um, he, he got, he, so I had everything written out for him. We had everything. And uh, he had a plan. He walks out. And I thought, wow, that went so well. And the next day, maybe it was two days later, it was very shortly thereafter, he comes running up. And he sees me, he said, chaplain, chaplain, hey, it's so glad to see you Goes so And I said, wait, hey man, how's it going? He said, you're not, gonna, he said, it worked just like you said it would. He said, we're engaged, we're doing fine. And I said, wait, what? And he said, yeah. He said, I, I told her exactly what you told me to tell her on the phone and she forgave me and we're re-engaged and everything's back on track. And I was just like, you did not listen to a word I said, did you? You see, he had asked for wisdom Biblical wisdom, and I gave it as best I could, but that wasn't really what he wanted. And so he took the parts he liked, and he got what he wanted, but he didn't change anything. And a lot of times we're like that. We ask God for wisdom; He says, "All right, here you go," (coughs) and we don't we don't listen. God always gives an answer for our quest for wisdom however we often wait to see what it is and then we decide if we like it or not. We often what we really want is not wisdom for endurance but just a way out and that doesn't allow God to complete the work he's doing in our hearts Right? sometimes when I go to the gym I don't want to finish I walk out of there thinking they tried to kill me right Um, or I sometimes walking is a loose term for what I'm doing my knees are shaking so hard from doing some sort of leg exercise that it's more of like a a crawl but um, you know I I get stronger and I'm less likely to injure the word double-minded literally means double-souled suggestive indication of the depths of the division within this kind of person the Old Testament rabbis set, capture the essential sinfulness of human beings by depicting them as always having two tendencies, good and evil, warring in the soul, to have a fundamental cleavage in one's ba- basic attitude towards God, to, believing, to be believing now one way, now another. This is the direct opposite of the faith James urges us to exhibit. <clears throat> We vacillate between obedience and the easy way out, which is usually the way of sinning. And God calls for us to be steadfast. <clears throat> but then last, starting in, and it says don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. He's not saying he won't give you the wisdom. He's saying don't expect to receive enablement. God is not going to enable you to do something he told you not to do. In verse 9, he goes on and says, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in, what he, in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. <clears throat> Here, what we we're told, told, or the truth that, that James gives us, is he tells us to be excited when God exchanges your earthly circumstances for a heavenly reward. Right. So you have a person who, it says, is <clears throat> of low degree. It means they are lacking in something. It could be in wealth, it could be in position, it could be in many things, but they're lacking in something and God out of his grace and abundance gives them more of something that they are lacking. And naturally we would all say well, rejoice, right? And that we would, duh, right? That's not hard to figure out. God gives you something you don't have and you, you're probably gonna share it on Wednesday night at prayer meeting praise the Lord, he did this thing, he he met this need, this was amazing, and we would all praise the Lord with you. But verse um, 8 is a little more challenging, but the rich, in other words, someone who has an abundance of something, right? Obviously wealth would be a natural application, but it goes much further than that, maybe health. Look Look at the man Job, he had abundance, he was rich in many ways, Right? He was rich in family. He was rich in health. He was rich in goods, in servants, in reputation. And all of these things were taken. And what we're told here is to rejoice when you are made low. In other words, when God takes that thing away from you, that you have in abundance, we are to rejoice because as the flower of the grass, he or it will pass away. Those things aren't going to last. And so what God is doing essentially is he exchanges an earthly situation that is, we have in abundance for eternal reward, for eternal riches. <clears throat> so in other words, you should be excited whenever God enacts a change in your earthly circumstances. If he improves them from a human perspective, improves them, Rejoice if he decreases your earthly circumstances if they are less than perhaps what would be considered desirable rejoice god is keeping you from becoming dependent on a blessing he has given you if you want a biblical example of this look at abraham's sacrifice of isaac right that was isaac was the promised heir he had been given to him by god through a miraculous circumstance and then God said, I'm taking it back. And Abraham went through everything up to the actual death of Isaac, thinking he would die. And God said, now I know you love me. No, God knew that all the time. But who also now knew he loved God more than Isaac? Abraham. And Abraham realized, yes, I could live without Isaac if I have my God. <clears throat> so folks... You should rejoice. You should be excited whether you gain or you lose because God is working in your life. And he is a great God. He is a powerful God. He is a loving God. And the fact that he would take time to work in our hearts and lives. And every one of us, look around this room. There's a lot of people here. Think about it. God is working in every single life here. He has a plan for every single person here. You see, verse 12 tells us, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. You should be excited because you know that at the end of this trial, you will have rewards laid up in heaven. I, you know, I'm almost 40. And I am looking at, you know, trying to save up money for college, for kids. A lot of kids, a lot of money, right? And trying to figure out how to, to facilitate that. Um, and so you look at investing and, 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 and you're trying to figure out how, what should you do with the money God has given you, right? Well, you know, if you had an investment that you could put in now and you knew would have eternal dividends, it's a pretty good investment, isn't it? Right? <clears throat> now, how many of us perhaps have seen someone and they say, we're struggling financially, but you look at the fact that they have like 2,700 different, you know, channels on their cable bill, and they both have unlimited time on on their cell phones. And, and you go down the list and they have multiple, they have a mortgage and they have multiple car payments. And you, you begin going down the list of their finances and you're kind of scratching your head and you're thinking, you know, you could have made a few choices a little bit differently. And by the way, I do this a lot in the military, right? People come in, they're like, "Chap, I don't know where all my money's going. And you just, I'm I'm not a financial counselor, I'm a chaplain, but I can show you some biblical principles that might help here, right? And um, taking the book of Proverbs. Um, And so I, I unfortunately, more often than I would like, I end up helping people figure out how to like live by a budget. And so... You, you ta- and you start walking them through the fact that they're exchanging for some very fleeting pleasures long-term financial stability, right? Like, how, many, how much data do you actually use on your phone every month? Well, you know, 20 megabytes or 20 gigabytes, say. Okay, is there a plan that would give you 20 gigabytes that's cheaper than the one you currently have? Probably, but this way I don't have to worry about it. Maybe you should worry about it a little bit. Folks, we have the same way of thinking about the life today and eternity. We're sacrificing a lot of things on the altar of the media for that we should be devoting towards eternity. And when God allows difficulties in our life, folks, we need an eternal perspective. We need to think like God thinks. God knows we're only here for 60, 70, 80, you know, 90 years. I sometimes tell people that our military years are kind of like dog years. For every one year of time, it's like seven years on your body, because sometimes it can be pretty, pretty hard on you. <coughs> um, so us military types may not live quite as long, but um, <coughs> that just means we get to heaven first. So <coughs> you can, do, you can. Uh, the, those of you that make it to old age, you know, you just have to stick around here longer. But God is working in your life, right? Are you letting Him or are you fighting Him? Are you listening and following His direction? or do you pick and choose what you like <clears throat> I find it interesting sometimes in the military <clears throat> when I'm I'm dealing with soldiers and and they'll have they'll have some goal in their lives and maybe it's to make it into some sort of special operations unit make it through the assessment and selection course um, <clears throat> maybe it's to go to airborne school. Maybe it's to make right retirement. You know, there's a lot of different things they'll have, and it's funny how many of them get those things, <clears throat> and then they like, now what do I do? I got that thing that I wanted so bad, and it's not as satisfying as I thought it was. And maybe you had that experience. You held on to something, you chased something, and, you, and, and God kind of resisted you on it and said, "This isn't a good idea," and you said, "No, no, no." I, th- I need this. So you chased it and you got it. And then you found out, oh, hmm, God was right. That wasn't quite as satisfying as I, need, as I thought it would be. What do we normally do? We just find something else to go after, don't we? <clears throat> well, maybe part of the reason that God is allowing these difficulties in your life is to help get your attention <clears throat> and say, you know, you need to start thinking biblically about these things in your life. Recognize I've got a training program for you. I'm getting you ready. I'm helping you invest in eternity you should be excited when I'm working in your life. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, it's very easy. <clears throat> it's our natural tendency <clears throat> to be frustrated by or overwhelmed by difficulty, by trials, Lord, we know you're good. We know you're in control. We know you love us. And so when you allow those trials, according to the book of James here, we find that those are good things, that you are working in our lives. You're strengthening us. You're getting us ready for the things that are to come that we don't even know about yet. And Lord, you're more than willing to provide the biblical answers if we'll follow them. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to adjust our thinking so that we think about difficulties and trials the way you do. Father, if we look around at the world, they'll say anything that's negative or hard, that's bad. But that's not what your word says. Help us to trust your word and not our feelings and to know that you are working and to be very excited when you are. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening.